0: So you see a Navy SEAL, for example, they land behind enemy lines. First thing they do, they look at that GPS and they ask three questions. Where am I? It's a good question for an entrepreneur to ask. Where am I? What's current reality? Number two, where's the enemy? And number three, where's my buddy? Now think about this, because if they know the answer to the third question, they can find the answer to the first two. But if you don't have the third one, you are screwed. And the CEOs and the business leaders that succeed, their number one priority is who do they surround themselves with.
1: Welcome to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. If you're an entrepreneur driven by your faith or want to be driven by your faith, then you're in the right place. One of the ways we're activating and equipping communities of faith-driven entrepreneurs around the world is with our faith-driven entrepreneur groups. This is a chance for you to join 10 to 12 other entrepreneurs and share practical tips on how to grow your faith and build your business. We have a great selection of studies with Pat Lencioni, Cheryl Batchelder, J.D. Greer, and others designed to help you and like-minded peers to share this journey together. Sign up by visiting faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. Welcome back, everyone, from
2: wherever you are to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Rusty. 25 years of helping people, 117 companies consulted, 20 million books sold, 150 million people served. Those are big stats. So it's a little hard to overstate the impact Dr. Henry Cloud has had on leaders all around the world. He has an extensive executive coaching background and experience as a leadership consultant, devoting the majority of his time working with CEOs, leadership teams, and executives to improve performance, leadership skills, and culture. And we all know how important all three of those are. We talked to him about all of this and more, and I think you're going to be really happy that you tuned in. Henry?
1: Henry? Welcome back to the Faith-Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. We've got a great guest today. It's not often that we have somebody who's been an author of books that have been bought 20 million times. That's a pretty big deal. It sets the bar pretty high as we start thinking about this Faith-Driven Entrepreneur book that we've all been working on. And um, Henry, And, by, and yeah. by the way, it's, this is the first time, and
2: William, you correct me, I think it's the first time that we now have two Henrys on the show at the same time. So this could get confusing,
1: yeah. right? Uh, Henry Kissinger yeah. continues to say <laughs> no to us. <laughs> and so, yes, it is indeed that. Henry, I don't know, and maybe I should say the same for you, you probably don't know many peers that, that share our name. But, you know, you it's know. becoming popular again
0: finally, I mean, when I was a kid, it was like the nerdiest name ever. I used to kind of go, oh, I wish I were named like John or something. But now it's really a cool name. Everybody loves it.
1: Yeah. And if you're on a soccer sideline and somebody calls out Henry, I just, <laughs> you know, I yeah, turned my head. But until about 10 years ago, I can't tell you how many people would come up to me and say, oh, that's a great name. My dog's name is Henry or my parrot's name is Henry. <laughs> Right. Clearly, it's not or, a human name. Or study since the the 1500s. in the 15th century. that was that's right. Different. That's right. That's right. Thank you, mom and dad. OK. All right. So, Henry, thank you very much for being on the show. We'd like to get an understanding and background of all of our guests. And unless somebody tune in this and say, OK, here's this academic, he's an author. That's actually not you. You're a faith driven entrepreneur. You've got a background in business. You've raised money. You've led people. Tell us a little bit about who you are, where you come from. Bring us up to today.
0: Okay. You know, it is weird when people say, Yeah, you are an author. I go, I'm really not. That's not what I do. But I guess I do. But I'm a practitioner. Well. Yeah, you know, so I'm a psychologist by training. And what happened was I came from a business family and business background. I was a an accounting and finance major in college, and then picked up a psychology major on top of that when I decided because of my faith, I wanted to go into this field. Long story short. I had been in practice and my first job was actually in a leadership consulting firm that worked with CEOs. And so it had a business context and I was a clinician, you know, back then executive coaching didn't exist, but that's kind of what, so they wanted to shrink in the leadership consulting firm to work on these kind of growth issues. Well, about five years into it, six years into it, my business uses started to kind of get bored. With not doing anything in business. So I wanted to start a faith centered psychiatric hospital yeah. and treatment center. And long story short, went out, and raised some money, looked for investors, all that kind of stuff. And then ended up with some minority partners, went out and did one hospital. And that one worked. And yeah. then we did another one. And that one worked. And then we did another one. Ended up throughout the Western United States, had hospitals and treatment centers in. 40 different markets, uh, four state, Washington, Nevada, California, and Oregon, and I'm ran so that company. centered. Yeah, you know, med surge hospitals, regular hospitals, known hospitals, I would go in and I'd knock on the door, you know, every faith-driven entrepreneur, <laughs> we started this, literally, I didn't have a penny. I mean, we started this from a broom closet. I mean, no money at all. But when knocked on the door of the first hospital and said, look, there's a lot of people out there that need psychiatric treatment, you know, depression, eating disorders, alcohol addictions, drug addictions, all of this. But they want to come to a treatment center where their faith is seen as part of the answer, not part of the problem. And it wants to be friendly to faith. And there is a big need out there and so if you'll give me a wing of your hospital, I'll take it through the state licensure process. I'll bring the doctors. I'll bring the patients. I'll market it, the whole deal. And let's do this. And so talked one hospital into trying this. And so we tried it. And then that one worked and ended up in 40 different markets and um, ran that company with with John Townsend for uh, about 10 or 12 years and then managed care changed the landscape, which is another thing entrepreneurs run into. I mean, you know, you get disrupted, right? The industry changed. And so when the industry changed with managed care, where we went from 30-day stays, I think of a revenue model that's built on, you know, a certain model where you have 30 days to treat somebody, and then it went to three to five-day stays, the whole thing changed. Now, we were still, you know, very profitable. But at that point, the faith mission I could no longer do. We could medicate somebody, stabilize them, get them out. But we couldn't do the deep spiritual and emotional family, relational, psychological work Hmm. that was life-changing, which is why I went into it. So I sold the company at that point and then went to working with CEOs and businesses and companies.
1: And writing. And so on the writing part, on the consulting you do with CEOs and the leadership work that you do, but also the writing, you've written on relationships and boundaries and when to say no and integrity and happiness and so many other great resources. But I want to ask you, if you can, to consolidate those topics a little bit and answer this question. In the hundreds of thousands of leaders that you've worked with, some very, very closely, some more remotely, but in all the leaders you've worked with, is there one thing that you could offer up that differentiates a good leader from a bad leader, or maybe even a good leader from a great leader, just different things that you see that are just emblematic of that person has what it takes because they've got X, Y, and Z?
0: Well, I hate that question, Okay, but it's an. That was Williams. You he why. made
1: me ask it.
3: <laughs> yeah. Good work, well, Henry. Thanks for, well, you know... <laughs> really honoring our guest yeah
0: well but i was gonna say i hate the question but it is a great question and here's why i hate it whenever you say that one thing it's sort of like okay if there's one thing that's essential to life okay well what do you you want air water or food which one you want me to pick one food. because in reality you know there's kind of this cluster of things that come together It's not a million things, but it's a few things. And so I actually wrote a book on this in a way called Integrity. And here's why I called it Integrity, because a lot of people would say, well, the one thing that a leader's got to have is integrity. But what they mean when they say that is they mean the most elementary definition of integrity in a certain way, which is basically a moral and ethical definition of integrity. In other words, somebody's got integrity, you don't lie, cheat, or steal, you can believe the numbers, all of that. But how many business people do you know that they wouldn't lie, cheat, or steal, but if you're asked, you want to do another deal with them? Do you want to work with them again? We go, no way. Well, why not? Because what they're missing are all these components that are true integrity, the way the literature talks about it and the way actually our faith talks about it. Integrity means to be integrated. It means to be whole. An integer is a whole number. Okay, So you could say if they have one thing, it's they have integration of their character. So that's one thing, but see, it's multiple things. right? So if you look at a great leader, what you're going to see is in that book, Integrity, I use the metaphor of a wake. So a boat or ship, when it goes across the ocean, it leaves a wake behind them. And a leader does that. You go through an industry, they leave a wake. All right. Well, what's the wake like? Well, Katrina leaves a wake. A hurricane leaves a wake of destruction. Some leaders go through industries or companies or departments, and they leave a wake behind them on two sides. One is the results that they get. Are they fruitful? Did they move the needle? Did we innovate? Did we capture market share? Did we grow? You know, there's got to be results. But on the other side of the way is the relationships. So I think if a great leader, if you look at what do they have? They have the integrated character, the wholeness where they can do both and they do both well in a transcendent way where they bow to things that are larger than themselves guide the values the mission the Mm -hmm. stakeholders if they put all that together that's a good lead
3: amen amen William here integrity is such a great word I love that that's where you went it's just in the way you explained it is something to aspire to you know in all of our life professional personal all of those areas and you know I've heard Henry say before so I want to transition to a new book you've written Uh, Henry's got three boys heading into college ninth grade 11th grade and 12th grade I've heard him say to them before and this is Henry's character you know College isn't about the grades you make. It's about the hands you shake, right? (laughs) That's his personal strategy. And, you know, he's living that on the three boys. Your book, The Power Uh, of the Other.
0: He wouldn't be out there, like, raising money or doing stuff like that, right? It
3: doesn't doesn't describe (laughs) him at all, does it? At all. And I've heard him say that. I was interested in how that parallels with your book, The Power of the Other. Does it confirm this or not?
0: Do you know the statistical term orthogonal?
3: I have heard that word said by people,
0: yes. (laughs) Well, it's two factors that are not related. So (laughs) yes, it confirms it. But the way that he means it, it might not be what I'm talking about. But it actually does, because that can be taken two ways. It is about the hands you shake. And so, yes, it confirms it. When I wrote the book, The Power of the Other, let me give you the basic premise is a lot of times in leadership development or in business development or personal development, you know, what you'll basically hear about is you'll hear about that, you know, you got this brain, right? You got this piece of equipment <laughs> and you got to get your brain working and you got to be healthy. And then you got the software that runs the equipment. So you got to have the understanding, the belief systems, the attitudes, the knowledge, all of this. We do a lot of leadership development. On the software, right? But the reality is a person, they got the hardware of their brain, they got the software, but the third leg of the stool is their relationships. Because here's the deal, and this is true about all high performers. I don't care if you're talking about Tiger Woods or Olympic athlete or a Navy SEAL or the best people in business. Every human, their brains, who they are, it runs on three things. You got the physical equipment, the wiring, you got the software, the belief systems, the knowledge, the attitudes, the software, and all that emotional regulation, all that stuff. But the third leg of the stool is the relationships that they're connected to. And so it works like this. You take a baby and you put them in the world, they come into the world, And what's the first thing they do? They don't turn to mom and go, oh, gosh, I'm sorry. Was that hard on you? I don't mean, you know, let me clean up around here. No, (laughs) they're like this. What are they doing? They have a chip inside of them that's searching for a connection, just like your cell phone. You turn it on, it searches for connection. Why? To be able to be connected to the network that's going to enable it to get to the next level okay that's not just a baby and if they're not connected with in that relationship shaking the right hands their brains don't grow their emotional regulations don't grow their body doesn't grow you adopt them 12 years later if they didn't have connection they have behavioral problems and they have missing parts of their brain but then all the way to the other end of life you take octogenarians if they're not in the proper relationships they have second third heart attacks and strokes. Point being, CEOs in the middle of life, it's their relationships that are the power of the other, that actually, it's like your computer being online. That's where they download the updates to get to the next level of performance. And it's also where the viruses are removed. So you see a Navy SEAL, for example, they land behind enemy lines. First thing they do, they look at that, GPS, and they ask three questions. Where am I? It's a good question for an entrepreneur to ask. Where am I? What's current reality? Number two, where's the enemy? And number three, where's my buddy? Now, think about this. Because if they know the answer to the third question, they can find the answer to the first two. But if you don't have the third one, you are screwed. And the CEOs and the business leaders that succeed Their number one priority is who do they surround themselves with? And in The Power of the Other, in that book, I list great long lists of high performers in business and who the other, the main mentor, the main support person, each one of them has somebody and they're always going to be there. And the people that don't have them, watch out. Don't give them money if you're a VC like you guys or an investment bank or even joining a partnership, if somebody isolates, if they operate in a vacuum, be careful, stay away.
2: That's great. I love the metaphor, the hardware, software, I guess you could say the relationships are part of the user interface, right? That when you have to put those two together and, and so many people, you know, actually sadly, if you go early in the generation of a entrepreneur or a business person, You know, whether you're in college or you're getting your MBA, you know, you're taught to quote unquote network, network, right? And that networking that is so important to do to be able to build those relationships, you know, sometimes that user interface can not be good, right? It can turn other people off or it becomes the, end versus the means, right? It's like, oh, I got to build this huge group of networking. Can you talk about that and give some advice to our young entrepreneurs who are trying to do that and do it well and build those relationships, how to be authentic, how to do it in a way that establishes real and long-term relationships versus these, you know, very transactional and maybe very superficial?
0: Yeah, it's a really important question. And I'd, I'd look at two dimensions on the outset one is what is the closest circle in that network building in you okay if you see your closest closest connections as they're going to be building your balance sheet of you know all these other networks that are going to quote build your business, be able to drag money over the transom or or connections or markets or w- whatever that is. if they're just a source of business stuff, that's really problematic if that's the foundation because your closest network has got to be the people that are building you because you're the equipment that's going to build the business. okay? So if they are strengthening you, if they are purifying you, and I mean that in the clearest sense of the word, like, you know, <laughs> I work with CEOs and generally a lot of the problems they find themselves in have to do with impurities that they've got to get out of their soul. And that ends up, you know, you know, read the front page of the Wall Street Journal most days and there's going to be some business story there it has nothing to do with the CEO wasn't smart enough. It had to do with, A lot of relational dynamics, destroying trust, or the culture they built, or all that kind of stuff. So you want the closest people in your network to be building you as a person, strengthening you. There's going to be times, listen, you can't depend on motivation. There's going to be times where you wake up, you don't feel motivated to do anything. The closest people are going to put energy and fuel into you. The word encouragement means to take courage and put it into us. You've got to have that kind of Navy SEAL tribe that does this for you that are building you. So from there, you're also going to build out to be able to have the eyes to see with them helping you which hands are worth shaking in the broader network and which ones aren't. So that's the first dimension. The second one is. Why am I building this network? Is it only, I mean, who's the tick and who's the dog here? Any network that you build and your motive is just to serve you, you will destroy that network or it will move away from you. But if you're looking at building a network asking primarily, and I don't mean this in a weird way, but what value can I bring to these people how can i serve what is important to them i think value and you see that network in that way not only is it going to yield good results it's going to be more meaningful it's going to be more purposeful and it's going to stick around and so i think the network's important but why are we building it and what's it doing for us that's mm-hmm. really really key how do you mean who was a son of some close friends of mine. And he graduated from college. And actually, they he had had a big loss in his family and their extended family and terrible time, really depressed. Graduated from college, didn't know what to do. And Tori and I said, let him come live with us. And so he came to stay with us. OK, so I got to know him. The guy was so gifted in business and finance and relationally and so smart. I said, dude, you ought to go into financial services. And he said, really? Because he was really interested in the markets and he had invested money and a bunch of stuff. And so we started talking about He'd look into it. He got more and more interested. So he goes to work for one of the big firms. After they sent him off to training, he calls me. He had moved at that point. And he said, I don't think I can do this. And then I said, why? And he said, because it's like, I can't, I feel like a snake oil salesman. They're telling me to build this network of, you know, it's like my friends and referrals and, He said, I feel like I don't want to be using people like that. It just feels terrible. And I said, okay, dude, let me tell you something. If you feel like a snake oil salesman, you got to get in a different mindset because I know you and you're not. In financial services, the great ones, every person they work with, do you know that 99% of the people out there what they lie awake at night worrying about is their retirement, their kids' college. What if I lose my job? So much of their pain in life comes from their finances. You're not a snake oil salesman. You're an ambulance driver. You're going to go join somebody's life and that marriage and that family, and you're going to bring them peace of mind, and they're going to understand they can have a future. They do have options. You're going to empower them. You got to look at this network thing differently. Okay. So he changes his mind because that's how, who he was inside anyway. And he got into, I can be in business as a ministry to people as a service. Guess what? Finished number one in the whole training thing. Killed it. Just killed it. But he was building a network from a way different place.
3: Mm, amen. Amen. That is a, that's a really healthy reframing. And, you know, we all end up in different spots. But so thanks for sharing that practical example. And, 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 and for him,
0: of, okay. and for him, I mean, it did take a reframing in kind of the cognitive mindset that he was bringing to it, but it didn't take a reframing of his heart. Hmm. And see, that's the thing is what I was talking about earlier is two sides of this network, the why am I doing it? But also the people that were close to him that were building into him as a person were helping him. I said, let's get it pure, you know? And so that's who he was as a person. So when you're in business and you're coming at it from a pure, authentic heart that you're there yeah. to help whoever comes across your doorstep, people are going to know that. And that's really important.
3: That's a great point. And not to paint a negative picture, but they're going to know the opposite too. If that's not where you're coming from, it's, Absolutely, it's, it's going to show.
0: I have a friend who built a big company and a competitor who was bigger, came along, said, we want to buy you out. And so he started talking to him. He said he was kind of interested in the. He said, I know i wasn't going to sell. I didn't think I was going to sell, but I, I wanted to have the conversation. I want to find out what they thought we were worth. And just, anyway, they go through this whole thing. And the other company comes along and says, all right, let's do the deal. He said, no, I don't think I want to sell. And the other company says, well, you better, because we will crush you if you don't. And you know what he did? He said... Let me make it easier for you. He gave them all their internal strategic plans and documents and all of that. He said, this might help you. He said, because we've learned a lot over the years. Just say, you're going to do the same kind of business and crush us. He said, this might help you. And he gave it to them. They looked at him like, what? Yeah. And he said, I, I really wish you well. Company goes out there and they fail. And he said, I knew they didn't have a chance. <laughs> I said, "Why?" He said, "Because for us, it's all about the people mm. and loving and serving the people." He said, "They didn't have the secret sauce; they could have the strategy." I knew it wouldn't work.
3: Mm. That's an amazing story. That's amazing. <laughs> amazing that's, story. Uh, that's a bold that's step. a bold step. I don't but know that's who he was. Yeah, that's who uh-huh. he was. I think I, I think I was with him right up until the handing over of all the documents. Um, <laughs> that seems like a bridge too far, but I'll pray about that and see if uh, God can humble me a little more. Speaking of that idea, though, if you, you, of, you hell, had
0: me at "I'll help you succeed,"
3: right? Exactly, exactly. I was like, you know, that's that's honorable. You know, I want to shift topics just a little bit, but kind of along the lens of what we're talking about. One of your big initiatives that we're big fans of is churches that heal. And I want to make sure our audience gets a chance to hear how that got started and what that idea is all about.
0: Well, it's an exciting project. You know, as I said, back when, when I started my company, way, way, way back, it was a faith entrepreneurial effort, you know? And I don't mean that just because I'm in a field where you actually talk about faith, like when you're talking about people's lives and healing and all that. Because I think it's the same thing with great companies that sell widgets, or, you know, fried chicken sandwiches <laughs> or others, that they're there to serve and they're there to help. So it's not just because you have that content. But in my particular field, you know, that's how it started. And part of it was to help people who were struggling with things like depression and addictions and all these things that we put in the you know category of mental health. You know, the best psychological evidence-based treatments are also the very processes that are throughout the New Testament and throughout the Bible. And so there is no conflict. What research does in empirical studies is it actually validates what the scriptures say. And so my mission in life was to try to show how you know thriving and well-being in business, in relationships, but also in our clinical issues, was also about the development of our spiritual lives its right at the center of it. And so about two or three years ago, you started to hear out there, there's a mental health crisis in America, right? And what the number opioid addiction was really driving a lot of the awareness in the beginning, but also it was in depression and anxiety, a bunch of other stuff. And it's getting worse, right? And then parallel to that, you also started seeing a lot of pastors who were, Leaving the ministry, burnout, and the stress, and sometimes, you know, they'd kind of screw up in some way. And there was a lot of pain in that arena. And so we started working on a project called Churches That Heal. And what that means is we wanted to come alongside churches and provide just an answer to both sides of that equation. How can we help the leaders heal, the pastors become healthy? But how can we help the churches reach into the neighborhoods and the communities that they work in and help the people heal in this mental health crisis? But I can tell you the healthcare system is not going to be enough. It's going to take the churches to go into the neighborhoods and help people that are really, really hurting. Because we're talking about depression, anxiety. We're not talking about somebody in a rubber room up there in an institution. We're talking about the person in the cubicle next to you at work. We're talking about the neighbor across the street. And a lot of times we're talking about the person people are looking at in the mirror. And so I wanted to provide a program that churches could do both of those. Help the pastors, help the people in the community. And that's called churches. You It's a plug and play whole program that churches can begin to use.
2: That's awesome. I want to, in our time that we have left here before William brings us our traditional clothes, I want to go to another leg of the stool that's Henry Cloud, and that's your authorship. And, Mm -hmm. you know, our listeners, they're here, and we're here for them to, you know, they want to be equipped, and we're trying to equip them. At the same time, I know they hunger and they thirst for more knowledge, so they reach the books, right? And there's no shortage Of leadership books that are out there on Amazon. There really
0: is no shortage. No, I think there's,
2: there's no shortage. And you are in that pantheon of, you know, writers who are trying to increase better leadership. Give our listeners a little bit of direction and hint on how best to utilize Leadership books. And then please, you know, shamelessly and do not worry about it, (laughs) self promote to tell us, you know, which of your books should we be picking up and making sure that we read cover to cover?
0: Oh, gosh. Well, to answer the first part of the question, to me, there's kind of two important parts to that. As I said earlier, I think that if you look at the Bible, for example, or you look at the psychological and leadership literature, the metaphor the Bible used is you got a tree, and the tree produces fruit. Okay? What 99% of the people are trying to do is they're trying to go after the fruit. They're only reading leadership materials about how do I increase my profits? You know, how do I, whatever innovation, you know, Opening up new markets. How do I go international? How do you raise funds? How do you what's marketing? They're looking at all this stuff that's gonna, you know, make them more, whatever more means to them. What they're not doing is they're not focusing on the tree, okay. And basically, in its core, 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 the tree is you, okay. And the tree is your integrity. And I don't mean that in the moral, ethical sense only. That's foundational. But I mean it in your integration of becoming complete. Okay, so I wrote a book called Integrity. One of the ways I would look at that whole thing is when you're looking at the genres, remember, look at it with two sets of eyes. Which books am I going to read that help me become more complete and the best person I can be in this context. I don't mean the best, whatever. We're talking about business and leadership. That's one part. And then the other part, you have two sets of eyes. Then there's going to be more tactical, context, subject driven expertise focus that you need to have, but make sure you're reading both. Okay. One of the things I have a model of leadership that's kind of, you know, these big buckets. Cause a lot of people, it's interesting. I go into an executive team meeting sometimes and I'll say, okay. I'm going to hand you guys three by five cards. Write down what's a leader, what's leadership. Like you said, with the book world, you're only going to get 63,000 definitions. And they're basically all true. The problem is how do I go execute on that tomorrow? So what I've tried to do in my work is I've tried to look at how does a human function? What is it a leader actually does? And let's build a model from there about the functions of what leadership actually is and develop the person and the leadership and the companies, because I work with companies and developing leaders, let's get them to be able to do those big five things. (laughs) It's the way I talk about it. And then we can drop down to the specifics of like, one of those, I start with, look, it's like the brain. First thing the brain's got to do, if I want to go from here to there, that's leadership, right? If I'm sitting here, my vision is life could be better over there. So the first thing I got to do. I got to come up with a vision. Second thing my brain does, it engages the talent. It's going to need some legs, some arms, gets the right talent I'm going to need to walk over there. But then the next thing I got to do is I got to figure out how I'm going to get there. Am I going to walk? Am I going to fly a plane? Am I going to get a scooter? now decide on a strategy, and a plan, and that tells me how to get there. Okay, let's go. Well, now I'll start to go. Well, I'll wander out. See, my body, my brain has a measurement system in it to tell me, am I getting closer or farther away, and then real quickly holds me accountable so I can quickly adapt. So if you look at a leader, and they're really good at vision, which has a lot of psychological components and personal and interpersonal components, they're really good at engaging talent, picking the right talent, engaging the right talent, keeping that talent. They're really good at making sure strategy and a plan happens, which are different, but one bucket. And then they really build in good measurement and accountability systems. A lot of interpersonal dynamics going there. How do you hold people accountable? How good are you at it? You know, all of that stuff. And then quickly, how fast do they adapt and fix the problems that they're measuring makes them aware of? That's what our body does. Now, then, if you're becoming a whole person in those functions, then you can take any one of those topics. There's probably five books on strategy that I could recommend immediately. That's the deep down. So I want them focusing on their development, and I want them focusing on the context of the specifics.
3: Mm. I love That's a long
0: answer. That's a long answer. I'm sorry for that. No,
3: it's a fantastic answer, but I I love the tree and fruit. I love that metaphor. And I want to ram that in. I love the idea of working on the tree. And I do think so many business books are 30 days to success, 60 days to double your revenue, you know, whatever. And those aren't bad. Those aren't bad, right? But I love refocusing to some of the tree as well. (laughs) And I love that. And as we unfortunately have to come to a close on this session, and I'm sure we'll beg you to come back, we love to ask our final question, which would be, Is there a scripture or a story in God's word that may be coming alive to you in a new way, or maybe something you even read this morning uh, that you would like to share with our audience?
0: A scripture that's coming right now, or gosh, this morning, that's very recent. You know, there's actually a handful of them. And one of them is not a particular one. It is a phrase, and then I'm going to add another. But the phrase is, one of the things you hear God saying over and over and over is, behold, I'm doing a new thing. And I think one of the things that I see, you know, we're right at the end of a year that was unlike any other year we've seen in the pandemic and how leaders and entrepreneurs are going through that. One of the things that that has said to me that I've seen in me, I've seen it in companies, I've seen it in individuals, I've seen it in marriages, I've seen it in families, is that there is a very, very, very deep and good, inside of John 15, a deep and good pruning going on right now. That, you know, what John 15, that whole passage tells us is that he says, you know, if... There are some that just, you know, you're going to prune them and toss them into the fire. But some other branches that they're pruned, they're fruitful. okay? but they're pruned so they can be more fruitful. And one of the things that I've been really, really asking God to do and seeking in the last year, and I've seen companies do this and I've seen CEOs doing it with their teams and strategies. Is. They're pruning themselves and their businesses, and they're letting go. I actually wrote a book on this called Necessary Endings. There are things that have to end in order to get to tomorrow. And it's a deep pruning. And I think a lot of us in this time period have gotten back to asking, what's most central to my mission, to my life, to lots of things? And what do I need to cut away? And what needs to be cut away from me? And it's kind of a pruning time, I think, Mm. inside my own heart, inside my life. You know, Tori and I have been talking about what are some things we need to let go of. You know, stuff, crap accumulates in our lives over time.
3: Amen. I mean, why did in in our hearts, right? In in our our hearts, and, and in our
0: business, why did it take a bankruptcy judge to shut down Pontiac? Think about that. General Motors, Pontiac hadn't made a profit in, what, four decades. got the smartest executives in the world hanging on to this thing. He goes, well, get rid of that. Duh. Well, a lot of times we're so emotionally attached, to just we're hoarding stuff. For sure. And sometimes it's even destructive stuff.
3: Amen. What a fantastic way to end, and especially during this season. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for sharing that, the idea of pruning to find out what could grow. Uh, is an amazing yeah. place oh, to Oh, and, and so that, that reminds
0: you. me, I didn't give the shameless book plug. Go for um, it. One of the things, one of them is not a book. It's a platform. If you go to boundaries.me, I've got a digital platform there. You can sign up and I've got over 80 courses, everything from per performance to, you know, the emotional or relational side of life, boundaries.me. If you go to there and check that out. And then the books I would recommend are, you know, there's three or four business books. The Integrity book is one. Boundaries for Leaders is another one, which has a lot to do with the actual execution of those necessary endings, which is the stuff you got to get rid of, the people you got to fire, the stuff you got to doesn't belong to your future. It's really important. And then The Power of the Other. Those four leadership books are the ones I'd point them to.
3: Amen. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for sharing so much wisdom with our audience. We're incredibly grateful and thankful for your long obedience in this direction.
0: Well, thank you for what you do. And you know I'm so glad you're focusing on entrepreneurial faith-driven leaders because guys, think about this. In the Bible, I always say this to my pastor. Look, you get paid for being good. The rest of us are good for nothing, right? It's like in the Bible, there were only this little group in the ministry, what we call, you know, the Levites, and they just, they did their religious activities, but the word for ministry is a word that means service, and so God made the rest of the tribe to provide people with the food, and the tents, and the livestock, and all the stuff you're doing. You were put on the earth as a minister, just because you don't do hymnals or choir robes doesn't mean that you're not, you know, faith and entrepreneurship, they go together.
3: Absolutely. That's our learned experience and yeah, why we do this. And thank you so much for blending those together.
2: Good to be with y'all. Thanks so much for joining us on today's show. We hope you enjoyed it. We are very grateful for the opportunity to serve you, the larger faith-driven entrepreneur community, and we want to stay connected. The best way for you to do that is to sign up for our monthly newsletter at faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. And while you're there, we want to hear from you. We derive great joy from interacting with many of you, and it's been very rewarding to see people come to the site and listen to the podcast now from more than over a 100 countries. But it's even more important to us that you feel like this is your show and that you'll help make it something that best equips you on your entrepreneurial journey, one that you're proud of and one that you're going to share with others. Hey, this podcast wouldn't be possible without the help from many of our friends, executive producer Justin Foreman and program director Johnny Wills. Music is by Carl Kegwell. You can see and hear more of his work at summerdregs.com. Audio and editing by Richard Barley of Cornerstone Church in San Francisco.